Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 160 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. We've got a special episode for you today. We've got a good friend of ours, Ed Porter, joining us on the show. And Ed is a former chief revenue officer over at Smart Harbor. He's got a lot of experience in the sales and inside sales industries, and he's striking out on his own now. Today, we talk a lot with him about all the different ways you can sell, channel sales, inside selling, building out sales teams. I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we jump into that interview, though, we got to take a quick moment to thank some of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Ed Porter joining us. And Ed was the Chief Revenue Officer over at Smart Harbor, as well as a sales leader in the Columbus community. He's the Chapter President of the AAISP, a global inside sales organization dedicated to the advancement of the inside sales profession. And finally, Ed is launching his own consulting firm here in July and striking out on his own entrepreneurial journey. We're really excited to have him on the show today to talk about his experiences and learn from his sales expertise. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Ed. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you too. And you know, we've kind of been talking back and forth. We've seen you around at the the SAS roundtable here for every once in a while, and it's exciting to finally have you on the show. But I guess typically, kind of one of the first places we like to start is 
taking it back to the beginning, talking about your early life and career and how you got to where you are today, maybe what made you want to start a career in sales? Yeah, it's a great question because I never wanted to be in sales. It was something that kind of had the, I, I bought my first car at 16. Well, my mom was with me, but I just couldn't stand the people that I talked to during that time. And I just thought that was every salesperson. So growing up, I really never wanted to be in that world. So I started, I was 19, 20, 20 years old, was working part-time at a call center while I was going to school and wound up eight years later, I was 20, 27 years old, had 1,100 people reporting under me and overseeing multiple locations, leading call center operations teams. So it was one of those things where I was like, all right, I love the call center business and this is this is where I wanna be. And that's where I really got my footing in really more of a career as well as leadership. So got to the point where I had directors underneath me who had managers underneath them, who had supervisors underneath them and it was real uh, sink or swim. So got my footing there and friends that I got to know at the call center company is it's now called Teleperformance. It was Call Tech back in the day. So friends that I had got to know there started their own software company and jumped ship to go work with them. And that was kind of my first real exposure to sales. In the call center world, we did some inbound sales, a lot of inbound uh, responding to ads and converting, and then a little bit of outbound. We did some outbound, not, not a whole lot of work that I had exposed to, mostly inbound. So then when I went to Call Copy, which was the startup, it was a software company. They had ma manufactured call recording software for the call centers, something that I, would, I had used before, so I was familiar with the product. And it was kind of, at that time, the company was looking to shift from selling direct to businesses to th selling through the channel. And they thought that I had a good experience of using it, that because I used the product before, I could go to these resellers or channel partners to be able to teach them how to sell the product. So that was really my first my first jump into sales and I resisted a lot. I wanted to be the director of channel operations and not channel sales and it all became it all stemmed from that I didn't that stigma of sales. But uh, so I wound up doing that and then got recruited to go build an inside sales team for a large field sales organization. And that was interesting because it was a good blend between what I did in the call center world versus what I did at the software company and a pretty good hybrid between the two. So I said, sure, took a leap and walked into the building. They didn't even have carpet on the floor. So it was literally building it from scratch. And that's when I really started to appreciate my love for sales and inside sales. I really learned a lot. The company was great to me that I got to go explore and get development on my own and research. Um, that's how I heard of AAISB when I was there. I was going down the path to what is inside sales and um, found them, went to a conference there and and, and the rest is kind of history. So it, it really, fueled my um my passion for inside sales what it can do as a as a weapon of a strategic nature for either small companies looking to grow quickly and big companies looking to grow more profitably so did that for eight years built that team from scratch and then through connections that i had at through aaisp i got to know smart harbor and got to know a lot of the team members that were there, a lot of the sales reps and their VP of sales. And 
probably for two years or so. And then when the VP left to go to another company, the co-founder approached me and said, hey, what do you think? So that's how I got into Smart Harbor. And as you mentioned, uh, my, my last official day was actually yesterday, June 3rd. So I am now kind of on my own. And what really catapulted that was my desire for inside sales, really sales as a profession, to figure out how can I take all of this knowledge that I've gained over the years from all the different people that have helped get me to this point. And I know that Columbus is a, I don't even know if it's a budding town at this point. I mean, it's, it's huge and it's growing, that there's a lot of opportunity right here in our, in our backyards to try and do something on my own. So the solopreneur approach sounded really interesting, and um, so I took it. So now I'm a free agent and starting to figure that out. I've got, fortunately, a few companies that we're working with on an engagement opportunity. So we've got some runway, and now I gotta go, like a sales rep, I gotta go fill the pipeline. Time to hunt. Yeah, absolutely, you got it. So it sounds like there's like there was four major transitions there throughout your career. Like, what did the duration look like at each one of them? You said at the call center, I think that was eight years. Is that right? Yeah. And then what about in the second, third, and then in the so eight one? years, then two years, then eight years, and now nine months, eight so, nine months. So, so a little bit shorter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy. So four, I worked for four different companies, four completely different industries, selling four completely different products or servicing selling different products. So. Um, really, I've been all over the place. And it was two big companies, two major corporations, and two startups. So very, very interesting when I started to reflect on that. It's funny how you mentioned that that stigma you got from just one bad experience, right? Yes. And how one bad experience early in our lives can really shape our mindset about something like a profession, right? Like sales. So I guess in that middle section, right, you talked a little bit about the transition to inside sales and coaching that like how'd you get over that hump how'd you get and find a point where you're like hey you know what not all salespeople have to be schemey car salesmen no yeah. offense to the schemey car salesmen <laughs> of the world yeah the so i think that happened when i was at call copy my first time really in, in a sales role the more i got to meet people mostly a lot of my customers, which were reseller channel partners, I got to meet a lot of their sales leaders, a lot of their sales reps, and having conversations with them. Even I went on a few customer visits with them to just hear them kind of talk about their product. And that really kind of opened my eyes to, hey, these guys are just like me. Or we have a conversation just like you and I are talking today, and they're not really even selling. They're just educating. They're asking a lot of good questions. and. So it was in that time that when I was with Call Copy that kind of got me over the hump. And that's one of the reasons why I took the job at Guest Supply building an inside sales team. Because quite frankly, I had never run an inside sales team. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I, I knew how to build a team, <clears throat> but I didn't really know what this whole inside sales thing was or how it made sense to a field sales organization so it was really new and it was a distribution company which is a whole different model when you're dealing with margin and product cost and you know, I mean you're talking pennies on the dollar profit so taking that role also was kind of my point to say I'm gonna embrace what what I like and what I've been doing and what I've known and try to try to see where this takes me so it was a good opportunity in that role to really take experience that I had in the call center with what I had at the startup 
and really trying to build a sales unit. And that's kind of where during that eight year time period is really where I developed that passion. I learned a ton and that was kind of my pivotal moment is where I'm now very passionate about personal development. And I wrote a blog article a couple months ago on this and it part of that is just owning your own development don't wait for your manager or somebody else to say hey go t- check out this podcast or go read this book or go do this training session like you got to own it yourself and i did that and i rolled up the sleeves and and kind of just researched the heck out of everything and i started to see this whole other world of technology vendors and suppliers and service companies and peers i mean that was the biggest was just like josh you and i talk about things like what's going on at work I had to do this I had a whole network across the globe of people that I could just exchange ideas with hey you're a distribution company how are you setting up sales development how do you comp them and it was it just became a huge network of hey help me out and all of them were willing so that started to really build the appreciation for for sales and how I quickly got over the hump and you talked about four different industries and a little bit off script on this one, but you know, four different industries, you talked about owning your professional development. As you went through those four different segments of your life, like what were some of the biggest challenges and things that you learned on how they were different? Because jumping from business to business to business has got to be you know, learning what the sales dynamic works in there and, and how the money flows and all that kind of stuff, but also the different value propositions of the products or services that you're selling. And I'm also curious how you know that differs from the channel partnership approach. So why doesn't everybody just use a channel partner you know (laughs) so first uh definitely right with the the growth in terms of getting in and going and how do you start that onboarding process i was fortunate at the at the call center company it was an outsourced call center company so what's nice is i wound up working on different client accounts where um, one of them was uh an internet server actually it was uh CompuServe where jeff came from and so that was an ISP. One of them was a wireless. Um, they, they did cell phones, they're not around anymore, but it was cell phone. The other one was a pretty high tech company at a time, um, I'm sure you've heard of Vonage. They started off with this like VoIP phone service and this company that I was working for at that time did that same thing and they partnered with another organization to build this. So it was back in like the early, early to mid 2000s where it's this emerging technology that VoIP is still like choppy sound quality but people are actually using this now for their home phone service back in 2003 so I got to work on those accounts so it's different different experiences there that really helped kind of feed the hunger for wanting to learn something new and at that point it became all right let's get the training underway let's figure out how we're going to serve these customers and and then in some cases it was we were handling inbound calls for if you have a problem with your device it's not working or you're responding to a, a newsweek ad saying hey this phone service looks really cool then you got to close them so we got i got to do in that eight years i got to actually feel like i worked for different companies so it was one company but a lot of different experiences there so some of the challenges that i had there were probably less around learning the different products and solutions and more around how the hell do you manage people so I was 22 years old and had my first team of 15 people 
I, I was, I was a young kid. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And a lot of it was power struggle and ego. And you think you're top dog. And, uh, I mean, that sets in. So you make a lot of mistakes real early on. And as a, as a kind of type a kid back then, it was, you know, it was something that was really difficult to learn. Didn't have the greatest, uh, upbringing in terms of coaching and development and that management skill. So it's, you just had to learn it on your own. So I think those are the biggest challenges at that time was as I got into each different role from customer service representative at that time, it was part-time and then to full-time and then full-time to supervisor and supervisor to manager and so on. It became a different level of how do I now manage people to do the work that I did before? And then how do I manage those people who manage the people who do the work? And that was the harder and longer challenge that, that I think was, and I'm still learning today. And that's the beauty of it is that becomes the more complex part of that side of the business of, as opposed to learning new industries and new products, at some point that becomes somewhat cookie cutter. And, and even in sales, People who are good at sales don't really need to know the product yet. They just need to figure out who am I selling to, what are their problems, and then how does this solve their problems. I need to know a little bit in the beginning, but then I need to have conversations and ask questions. What are you doing now? Is it good? Do you like what? What did you do before this? So I don't need to know anything about a product to be able to have a conversation. Couldn't sell anybody on it, but just to have a conversation, and that's where I think the art of sales really kind of opened my eyes was let's have some questions so as I bring that into each of these different positions that I had it became all right let's learn my frontline team or let's learn about each of the different individuals how do you like to learn how do you like to be managed do you want me to leave you alone or do you want hands-on and start to understand it's not a one-size-fits-all approach but go to each person and learn from them in the same way that you go to a prospect and learn from them so you can sell those were the things that I learned pretty late, but made a lot of mistakes along the way. I mean, that was certainly the most challenging part. It's interesting that you say that because I think one of the philosophies that we're trying to teach to, you know, our, our SDRs, entry-level sales reps here, and then our entire sales team as general is just the power of question asking and, and how much you can, uh, how much knowledge you can derive out of that process and not, you know, trying to actually be a salesperson. So how, how much can you not sell throughout this process of interacting with this prospect? Yeah. Which is a completely different dynamic from like what you mentioned if you ran into a salesman, you know, really in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. <clears throat> it's it was some tough. type of tr- like <laughs> tactics under his belt that he can deploy on you. And it feels like magic when you walk away, but it's like, really, did I, did I help that person or solve anybody's pain? And like in a world where transparency is everything and transparency is key, if you do sell someone uh, in a slimy way, it almost feels like it's really hard to get away with it at all anymore. Anyways, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I love the concept of like, cause like a, like they talk about like an amateur salesman will ask leading questions, get the answer he wants, but a professional salesman will hear something that he wants to hear and then ask another question to, to get to the root of the issue, right? Like, so at, keeping asking more questions to get like that's the hardest thing for me is like when do I stop? Because how far can I keep going with this? Where, right. What's the bottom of this hole, right? Like I think that's like a, the way I like to think about it is I'm kind of I'm digging a hole, and when am I going to get to the bottom when I'm asking those questions? But uh, yeah, and I want to I want to transition back into you know Smart Harbor and AAISP here in a second too, but I just want to go back one more time to talk a little bit more about channel partnerships because yes. it's something that I think is really interesting. Like as a company, it almost seems like on paper channel partnerships should be the strategy that every company deploys and just is fully dependent on. 
Mm-hmm. So with your experience versus building an inside sales team and focusing on that, how do those two differ and where do you see the successes and failures with companies? So selling through the channel is is one of the most difficult things to work through, but it's also can be very much the most strategic thing you do. And it really ultimately comes down to your product and how do you want to distribute it? Do you want to hire your own staff and do you have the capital to infuse into it to bring everybody on and you know go hit the market and or do you want to try and leverage those partners who have experience doing some of these things either inventorying uh, delivery warehousing even sales force big sales forces so there's a lot of different things to consider and when any manufacturer goes to market you you're always thinking about who's your end user and then you work backwards so there's no real cookie cutter answer because it's very contingent on the product, your market. And then also to, to you, you had said earlier, why doesn't everybody just do it? It's much like anything else where you need to build the infrastructure. You need to have the infrastructure to support it. There's plenty of people that have, will sell direct and then they'll decide, all right, I'm going to try and sell through the channel. And then you wind up having two sales strategies competing with each other. So your direct sales reps are competing with your now reseller channel partners for the same end user. So you've got to have process to be able to not disincent the, the, the channel partner to then go sell your product. There's also a big financial opportunity. I don't know how well you guys watch Shark Tank, but they always get into how are you selling now? Are you gonna sell through retail? Retail is the same thing, as it's just a different channel, but it's a channel. And it has to do with, if I've got a good thing going, selling direct to consumers, and I've got marketing in check, and I've got fulfillment and inventory, and I can balance POs to be able to produce more. If you got the engine, that's, the, that's gotta be the path of least resistance. It's gonna be the most profitable. However, you, you're gonna be limited on top line, because then what happens when you go to different regions, different countries, and do you wanna go set up a plant in China when you know nothing about that law and you have to go figure it out, or do you use somebody that does it? So then you start figuring out, all right, I'm gonna use channel in certain industries, verticals, regions, but now, now you've got a whole top line growth that can grow significantly and quickly when you're using an existing infrastructure but it is expensive it's expensive to bring on a partner you got to train them and you got to make sure your product is top of mind because there's a good chance that that channel partner is not just selling your product they're probably selling 15 others and potentially two other competitors so now you got to go in there to say hey you've got three of these different products that you're selling here's why mine is better and then I got to convince the sales team, and then the sales team has to go convince the customer. So it's pretty difficult to, to be successful. You have to, just like anything, it's got to be intentional and it's got to be planned, and you got to have that infrastructure to be able to do it because it is, it is expensive. When you mentioned the retail example, it's funny how clear that is now, but how not clear it was before you said it. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, one of the interesting things about retail is like, they talk about that push-pull dynamic. So, yes. so it's easier to push into the channel if they're getting more pull outside of it because the ability to, like you said, train a sales rep who then is going to, you think they're going to convey the same amount of value and sell the product as good as you would internally. It just doesn't seem very likely, you know? Yeah, and retail, what's interesting about retail is think about this. There's no salesperson. So it's good and bad. For the manufacturer, 
that means I have to make sure, this is where I, I love that the sharks always say, product packaging. Mm -hmm. Because you need to educate that consumer within like seconds. They're passing an aisle and they need to know what your product is, how it helps them very quickly. So everything you do as a manufacturer has to go into marketing. It's consumer education, all of it's marketing. You're trying to actually drive the push strategy so that the customer will then pull. So you've got to front load everything into marketing and, you, and your packaging has to be spot on. When you're selling through in B2B in, in the channel, it's a little different because you got salespeople. So I still need to do some marketing, but I really got to put some effort into sales training and making sure that there's an incentive for them. They operate, they're coin operated and they're operating on margin. So how much money are they going to make selling your, your solution? So it, selling through third party is, is difficult, and, but it is very, it can be easier if planned properly, deployed properly, and ultimately if it makes sense to where your buyer is. If you're selling a niche market, may not make a lot of sense to sell through a distributor, but it may make a lot of sense in that case if you're selling high-end yachts. So if it's custom, it's probably not worth selling through a third party. But if I'm a manufacturer of certain parts, I'm not obviously selling to the guy buying the yacht. I'm selling to the company that's using my product in there. So that only makes sense that you're selling to that channel partner, even though that's part of the supply chain. Cars are no different. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot easier, or I should say, it's a more complicated question to ask why doesn't everybody do it? Because eat, both solutions have the same probable cause, which is you got to go down the path to figure out how you're going to do it and how you're going to support it because in a channel strategy you're relying on somebody else to sell your product and if something doesn't go right you could very easily be thought of as the problem to that even though it's not your problem it's much of a, a sales analysis it's almost a marketing and positioning and and you know product price place promotion analysis to understand you know where do you really fit and, and how is our product going to sell the most efficiently right and, and there's, this is where, again, on Shark Tank, they bring up, because when you're selling to a third party, you got to give a cut to them. So if I've got a product that's 10 bucks, and I decide, and I'm selling this through my website, if I go to a distributor, minimum is going to be five bucks I got to sell to them. So I've just cut my, my margin in half. So now I got to figure out, if I'm going to give you a discount of $5 per unit, where am I what else am I going to have to invest in that? Because it's now going to cost me, I'm only getting $5 for the sale, plus i got to put more attention to train you or to get you to, to, to sell it. So I'm now creating more labor expense or even marketing budget and training budget, so it's even that much harder. So I've cut my margin in half, plus I have more labor to try and get you to sell, and I better hope that that tail end justifies that, that cost. So it's it's a lot harder that way, too. All right, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. Conquering Columbus would also like to take a moment to thank the 11th Candle Company. 
11th Candle Company may be in the business of selling candles, but social enterprise thrives on igniting hope. Employing women who have experienced human trafficking, 11th offers the resources to redeem, empower, and support them on their journeys to burn bright again. Every candle sold shines a light on an issue that often walks in darkness and provides hope to once-trafficked women on their path to redemption. Come pour your own candle of hope at Polaris Fashion Place across from the Apple Store or visit www.11thcandlecompany.com. That's www.11thcandlecompany.com, and that'll be linked down in the show notes. All right, Conquerors, let's get back to this episode. We've handled our 10-minute tangent that was not even remotely on the outline very well. So so to circle back to that, so talking about things uh, at Smart Harbor and how yeah. that experience was for you, you know, um, you know, reflecting back on it, it was a short time, but are there some certain points that kind of stick out and what does it even mean to be a chief revenue officer? Yeah, so that's kind of funny because I got that question a lot from not the company, but people that I would be talking to that I'm this chief revenue officer and what does that mean? I've seen yeah, this probably a lot bad of if you got it from the company. Heading. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, you know, what does it mean? And I think that's a great question. The, you know, you've heard, had this advent of chief sales officer, chief revenue officer, chief, anything that's like every time you turn around, there's a new chief title somewhere. And ultimately what, what was nice about this opportunity with smart harbors. I, I knew them really well, knew the co-founder really liked the guy really liked, the team and really like the product. They, I really believe that they've got a great product that that has a market need, and they, I think, have a great path forward. So when this opportunity was presented, it was more along the lines. They had a, the VP of Sales had left, so it was kind of mutually creating this position because the co-founder had asked me what what is it that I'm looking for, and I had fortunately over the two years prior had kind of started to think a lot more about what I actually wanted and wound up going through a process with a, I call her a career counselor. So I had an engagement with her, went through a lot about myself, what I want, what I don't want, what kind of company to work for, stressors, things that make me happy. So it was a lot of assessment based, a lot of practical based, and I was pretty clear on that. So it came down to when I answered him, it was, I want to be in a position where I can own the full customer life cycle. I've been in positions in the past where I've owned post sales in service. I've been in a position where I owned marketing and sales, but not all three. And I think understanding marketing, sales, customer support, you now have a pretty good alignment outside of the CEO that you can start building practices that, that really help all of it. So the chief revenue officer title is something that I start to think about as somebody that owns revenue management, that owns the full life cycle. I don't, if, if your company sells to new customers and there's a repurchase ability from existing customers, you can't really call yourself a CRO unless you own both of those. If every dollar that comes in, you got to own it then I think that makes sense in a chief revenue officer title. So for me, it was owning marketing, sales, and customer experience. And that was something that I really wanted. And I wanted to be able to, how do I turn people who don't know who we are to say, oh, interesting, who's Smart Harbor? I want to know more. And then I got the sales team that can start nurturing that. And then I've got the customer experience team that can work on building the value and getting the renewals and then upselling. So. That's where, for me, it was huge opportunity that I was excited about, and and through the conversations with him, worked on 
what is it that I want? And, and then we kind of came to this deal and, and then there we go. What were the surprises about the experience? <laughs> the insurance industry is really complicated. <laughs> so this, the, they're, uh, they're a digital marketing technology company selling to insurance agents across the U.S. And most people just turned off the episode because they have no idea <laughs> what even right. any of those words mean. <laughs> digital means online. Well, actually, not quite online. But uh, So what that really means is they, they sold social media products and, and websites for insurance agents with a lot of content that they put together over the years. They only sell in the insurance space and in any kind of digital marketing world, I don't think anyone will argue that content isn't king. It really is. And what Smart Harbor has done and done a really good job of building this content. So what they're doing is they're going to agents to say, hey, let us help your site. Let's engage your social channels. We'll connect everything together and and post the content for you, we've got it all preloaded, you got our library, and let us build your engagement so that you can start, your brand can be top of mind to your followers. Because who the hell knows who Ed Porter Agency is? Well, you need to get that out there. So that's what they did, and that's it's, it's a great product and it's a great need. So going into where the, where the opportunity was, or I guess kind of the, the, the differences were is parlaying that into insurance. So you're selling to insurance agents. You need to know what makes them tick. What is difficult about their business? Are they growing their business? Or if they've been around for 30 years and they're just kind of waiting out to retire, it's really trying to find that, find that out. So when you get into pains, you really need to know the insurance market. You need to know how difficult it is if a business is calling them to get insurance and they're a contractor that's in some cases very difficult because that agent has to go possibly to different carriers to go get a quote. They have to go to that potential customer to say, how long's the contract? Where are you going to be? Is it, you know, is it a complete dirt path or is it an existing structure that you're rehabbing? So you need to know all of these things because it's all relevant in the insurance quote. So what the hell does that matter to me? Who's trying to sell a digital marketing technology solution? What it matters is, your time is, needs to be spent in other areas than dealing with finding your own and sourcing your own leads, managing your website. What, how are you going to write a website or a page that says, I sell commercial insurance in these hundred niches? That's a lot of time, and people aren't always the best writers. So why do you want that, that person to consume their time doing that when they've got a million other things to do? So understanding the insurance agent or the insurance market was a big challenge and it's that was the one thing that took me the longest to learn because that whole dynamic is ridiculous in my opinion and it's it's challenging and anybody in it knows it that there's so many levels there's paperwork there's still things being done on paper and faxing and electronics still isn't quite there so i think that was the that was the the challenge at that point and and also became something that I as of even like last week I learned something new when I was there so I think all in all that's really the the thing that was the most surprising to me is how long it would take me to really understand this market and I still don't I can't believe faxes are still around but the <laughs> you would be shocked at I believe it yeah uh, but I think what what was really cool about that is the way you described the problem Right, and I, I love listening to salespeople describe problems that they 
they help solve because yeah. like the way you took it and took it in the direction of like, hey, here's this persona, and here's this pro- all these problems this person's dealing with. I really like that description. I'm probably gonna have to steal it. But perfect. The what I want to jump into now is talk a little bit about uh, the AISP. So what is the AISP? The president yeah. of the chapter here. What is it? What do you guys do? And how can people get involved? Right. The uh, AAISP stands for the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. It's a global organization that really serves to just elevate the whole sales profession. And the, the two founders of it, Bob Perkins and Larry Reeves, spent a lot of time in their careers in inside sales and really fighting the battle of us versus them, inside versus outside. And they've really created this this organization to just simply connect everybody and get everyone kind of on the same page, learning the same things, understanding or disseminating of information. So how I got, like I mentioned, I, I found them through research to try and figure out what inside sales was. And my first exposure to to them was going to a leadership summit that they had five years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And I was just eyes like deer in headlights. Um, I went there and there were about 800 other inside sales leaders that it was just huge. There were 30, 40 vendors there and I just ate it all up. I talked to people, what do you do? How do you do it? Talk to vendors, tell me what, tell me what technology you're doing. How does it help me? And that was really my, I came out of that first summit as a, I have a ton of homework and I got to figure out what I'm going to do because there's so many good ideas. So I got involved because, and I love telling this story too, and, and she cracks up every time I tell it. So at the time I was working for a distribution company. I go to this, I go to this summit and most of this summit is tra- traditionally SaaS companies. There's a lot of SaaS leaders there. They're either bigger or starting up and they're really high tech companies. And the process was a lot different, meaning you have a sales team that works the deal until they close and then their job is done. When I was in, when I was building this inside sales team for the distribution company, it was you're building you're doing your own prospecting, you're getting that first deal, and that's the smallest deal that they'll ever buy from you because you're selling, we were selling 30,000 different item numbers. So our goal was to sell a customer wide and deep, not just transactionally one sale and done. So that was a completely different dynamic of me trying to learn, all right, well, my whole sales process doesn't, doesn't culminate at the time they sign a contract. We didn't even have contracts. A customer could just say, hey, I need 10 boxes of toilet paper and four boxes of shampoo and two boxes of towels. And, and you say, okay, let's, we need a brief application or payback credit card and you're good to go. So there was no contract, but then our whole sales work, all of that sales work happened after that first purchase because you're trying to get them to buy more and more stuff. So going to this summit was a lot of SaaS stuff and I was like, okay, it doesn't quite appeal to me or doesn't quite resonate with what we're doing but at the very end there was an open session within the whole jet huge ballroom and it was an open Q&A session so this this person stands up and asks a question of when are you going to have more content geared toward toward distribution inside sales teams 
So my eyes perk or my ears perk up and I'm like awake now. And I stalked her and followed her out of the, the auditorium. And I said, hey, I'm a distribution inside sales leader. I'd love to just talk. Well, lo and behold, she lives here in Columbus, where I do, and together we started the Columbus chapter of AAI. Restarted. It had been, it was started years ago, but had been vacant for a few years. So, lo and behold, she runs inside sales for a distribution company here in town. She's got a couple offices. Her name is Paula White. Hi, Paula. Um, I've known her for years, and we we have we used each other a lot in the beginning of hey how are you doing this and how are your sales comp structures because she operated on margin i operated on margin so it was it was a a great experience but that's how i took back to now building the chapter here in columbus so the two of us um, had one other person in the beginning and i guess the rest is history so she's moved on to bigger and better things she's no longer affiliated with the chapter she's still at the same company she's doing a kick-ass job there and she's she's doing some other things so i kind of take took the reins and continued to grow it and now we've we've got anywhere from 40 to 50 people coming to the meetings that we have and all the meetings are free so it's open to the sales community here in in central ohio and we try to do six, seven events a year and um, talking about different topics that are relevant in sales, whether it's a sales leader or a sales rep. And a lot of where, what I start from, I had uh, a guy that I know that kind of gave me this idea. He said, go on LinkedIn and see what people are complaining about. Go have a topic or go have a meeting on that topic. So you start, start to think about that. And, um, and that's exactly what we've done over the past few years is different topics and different speakers and I've fortunate, been fortunate to grow my network within AAISP, and I have a lot of speakers that are bigger names in the industry that have come to Columbus to give sessions. In fact, we've got a guy coming in in a couple weeks that's uh, um, is a founder of a software company that's doing amazing things. Um, his name's Steve Richard, so he's coming and doing our meeting on June 20th, and he's flying in from the D.C. area at his own expense and um, coming to just talk to people, which is awesome. So we, we, that's what we're really focusing on is the meeting content, the topics we're talking about, how relevant it is to sales leaders and sales reps. And it's, it's great. I, I do it. I volunteer and do it because I'm committed to the, to the industry and committed to wanting to learn. I'm kind of a student forever, I think. And it's always interesting to meet new people and hear how, hear how everyone's running their sales team. And, and that's kind of how I got involved with AISP and where we are today with the chapter. And when was that next meeting again? Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, June 20th. June 20th. June 20th. So you can head over to aa-isp.org and then go look for chapters, find Columbus. And we've got meetings scheduled out for June, August, tentatively in October, and I'm about to finalize December. So uh, we try to get at least, uh, like I said, six to seven meetings a year, and they're all open and free. Just register. So we talked at the beginning of the episode, you now taking the leap into entrepreneurship and being a solopreneur. Um, what's that experience been like? Like, what do you, what, what is worrisome about it to you? You know, what are you looking forward to? And what do you think the path forward will look like? Right. So the, the biggest, wor- the worrisome thing for me was I kind of took the leap without having much uh, underneath to, to cushion the fall. And it was done because I, I liked what I was doing at Smart Harbor and it wound up just being, I've always wanted to start my own business and I just never knew what. 
I remember being 18, 19 years old saying, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to go to college and it's going to teach me what I'm going to do. And that didn't happen. And then I started to go grow up in the call center industry. So I've always had this drive and desire to start my own business and just never really did. And I, over the past probably three or four years, started to really think about what do I want to do when I grow up. And you know, it certainly helped with the career counselor that I used. And um, that's started to give me the footing that I needed. So there's really no time like the present, right? So that was kind of where I wound up talking to, to my boss and say, hey, here's what I'm looking to do. I want to give you runway. I want to make sure that this is planned. We'd probably plan this out for over a month. And I wanted to make sure that he wasn't left high and dry. And I said, I want to try it out. I've got, um, I've helped some people in the past. I, I did some consulting a few times about four years ago outside of a full-time job and really liked it. And where, where I started to think about it now is had a couple opportunities that might come up and wanted to see how much they could come up. So it was, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to resign and hopefully, hopefully I can get some other things moving. And, and I have, and I, I don't know if this is the long term for me, but I really want to see how this works. I'm somewhat envious of the solopreneur lifestyle where you can kind of do your own thing wherever, whenever my, uh, my my wife and I want to travel and the kids are getting older so that's becoming a reality so I'd love to just be in Fiji one day doing work and then the next day be in Italy and not be bound to an office so that's really enticing to me and worst case scenario if it doesn't work out then then I'm going to be calling you guys <laughs> for a job <laughs> but um, that's really what what did it for me was I want to get into that next step. I've been talking about this thing for a while and I haven't done it and now I want to. So that was that's what kind of gave me the 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 drive to go now. It's an exciting leap, you know, and there's a lot of a lot to think about. I'm sure in, in once you realize though you come to the decision, right? Like you mentioned that you kind of put some feelers out there. What was that process like? I, I like getting into kind of details and the nitty-gritty on the early early stages of doing your own thing so yeah it really started off i've become a lot more comfortable with talking to strangers and networking so i've been doing that for so long and it's it's now it's more engaging for me so i'll kind of go back to something that you said earlier mike which was when do you stop the whole 20 questions when you're in a sales process and i think it's very much where it's conversational and you assess engagement. So as I'm talking to different people, it becomes more of a conversation of where what where they're at, what they're doing, how they're doing it. And we start to get into, so how did that work? What would you, if you could do it over again, how would you do it? And having those kind of conversations really got me to think, well, hey, I'm happy to help. I'll come over to your office. Let me spend an hour or two there. And then people would come to my office and spend some time there. And then I realized I could be charging for this. (laughs) So that's where it really stemmed from is having the conversation, engaging with people, going down the path of a Q and a, but ultimately saying, you know, there's, there's something there. And I don't necessarily know that I have aspirations of becoming a bazillionaire, but I want to have a comfortable lifestyle and maybe this is the runway that does it. So the conversations that I had were very indirect and it was, hey, you need help with this, I'm happy to help. And I was doing it all for free. And now it's like, well, I, I do wanna help and I also would like to get paid. And I think that's gonna be the hardest thing for me to do is separate the, 
I want to help or I have some ideas versus here, let's, let's do this for free. So those were some of the specific conversations. And then, like I said, the client that I had four or five years ago that I did, it was through a, um, a connection that I had. He knew that this guy was looking to, to grow and needed some help, and he was kind of running his own thing. And um, so I did back then, and we put together a really good plan, and he ran with it, and he, he had a great growth trajectory. So that was exciting for me to be able to go in and see that success. And now... I, kind of circling back to where he was at, I talked to him a few weeks ago and started to learn a little bit more about where he was at. And he's now at a different stage and looking for even more help. So um, those are the conversations that really just started to evolve. That was a little bit of an anomaly because there was a previous relationship. But other than that, it was just through conversations. And so I don't have as many details or, or nitty gritty stuff other than it was a realization that through conversations and through networking with people that there became an opportunity. So you're also on the board of several nonprofits and a mentor at the Girls Club. Talk about what those experiences were like and kind of why you like being involved with those. Yeah, those were interesting um, on how they came about more so. So I went to school, I grew up in Catholic schools from kindergarten to senior year in high school. Hated it, dreaded it. I was a terrible student. 2-5, I think, is what I graduated, GPA in high school. But when I got to college, I felt like I was probably better prepared. I wound up graduating with my undergrad at a 3.8 and my master's at a 3.9. And I was, again, I was a terrible student. It's not like I was um, I'm, I'm academically gifted or intelligent by any means when it comes to book smarts, but I felt like that education that I got, even though I hated it, prepared me really well for college. So when I got to that next, I was like, oh, this is, this is easy, I get it. So I think they, it really taught me how to go about doing work. So I became passionate about education through, through that learning, but then also I had a friend that was um, sending his kids to a charter school. I knew nothing about charter schools. So looked it up, and it was basically a public school with a lot of um, asterisks after it. Mm-hmm. And um, to hearing from him what was going on. He wound up getting involved in the PTO. Then he wound up getting on the school board and he said, hey, you should come on. They don't have anybody that can really help on analysis and leadership and even financial stuff. So wound up talking to him and went to a couple board meetings and talked to a few people and said, all right, this is great. I like, I'm interested in this whole charter school movement. And um, now that I've, I had done it for years. I wound up stepping down a few years ago, but I did it for about four years or so and learned just the whole politics behind it, not only in Ohio, but elsewhere. So, but it, I, I, ideally, I like what they're doing. I like the charter school movement, and I think it's a Band-Aid to the actual problem. The problem is simply that the quality of education isn't where it needs to be. Public education isn't where it needs to be, and charter schools are providing a better option. Some will argue that, well, the money that they're taking from the public school system is, is making the problem worse. And then others will say, well, that school district isn't doing anything with the money, so there you go. So who knows what, what, what side is right, but ultimately it's trying to solve a problem, which is public education, and it is, and it is really bad in this country, let alone you get into here in the city of Columbus. I think we all know this, the Columbus City School District. It's huge. It's a big district. There are some schools that are really good, some that aren't. And... 
but they're all graded on the same scale and it's not quite fair but they're huge mm-hmm. other suburbs have really good public school systems so i i could bore you guys and mm-hmm. forever about this but i started to become more passionate about it and because I, I had a good experience growing up, didn't realize it when I was there, and really liked what they were doing. So wound up joining the board and, and, and did a lot. Um, started off just as a board member, then became uh, treasurer for a little bit, then vice president, and the friend of mine was the president the, the whole time. And um, it, it was just, it was basically running a small business. It absolutely was. P&L, financials were, were everything, cash flow, was paramount and it i learned a lot about financials and it, it at the end of the day i could walk out of of the school after a board meeting and know that i'm trying to do something that makes a difference so for me there was a lot of gratification there was a lot of fulfillment knowing that you know it may be a pain in the butt dealing with politics and money and budgets and lawyers and all of this stuff but ultimately we're trying to make a better tomorrow and that was kind of my way to do it so that started my addiction to to nonprofits and getting involved so from there, I went to... And which, which organization was that? I don't know if you mentioned the, the name. The schools? Or, oh. Yeah, there were two schools. There was Columbus Preparatory Academy and then Columbus Arts and Technology Academy. Okay. So those are the two schools. Um, Columbus Preparatory Academy was actually one of the, the top-rated school in Ohio um, based on testing scores. Very great school, and they did a lot. They're still doing a lot of good. Um, so that was the school, and then Columbus Arts and Technology Academy is on the east side and was in a very impoverished area uh, in the city of Columbus. And um, I think what they're doing at that school was trying to give kids who may not have otherwise had an opportunity in school, they were giving them another chance. And the teachers and the staff there, phenomenal that they're giving every day, making next to nothing for a salary. So two different schools, two different areas, two different problems, um, ultimately. So that's, those are the two schools. And then I went to join the board for Hilliard Ohio Soccer Association. So I live in the Hilliard area. And my, my son played for that organization when we moved to Columbus. And he, we wound up actually having a bad experience and he switched clubs. He played, he played club soccer. So he switched clubs and then a year later, I guess I was still on their mailing list and I got an email that they were looking for a board member. And I said, damn it, I had a bad experience and I don't want people to have that experience anymore. So I wound up going to the board meeting and talking to different people and learning how they operated and joined the board and got voted on and then eventually became president of the board and ran it for a little bit. And we went through a pretty big rebranding, completely rebranded the whole organization, completely changed the whole management structure of how it was managed previously to having more of an executive director feel and that was that was something that i was proud to be a part of and and kind of help lead so it was great and it was um it was a great organization and wound up stepping down because i was doing way too many things i was on two yeah and this was all at the same time (laughs) aaisp um trying to run that two school two, two charter school boards and the soccer board and and a wife who hated that I wasn't home and a full-time job so it just became I I got to a point where I said all right I gotta stop and the idea at that point was that was the time when I first was like all right I want to go out on my own and I want to step off and try and find this time to focus on myself and what I want to do so that's how I got involved in the nonprofits. now most recently girls club 
um, people that I met through AAISP, specifically one of them, Lauren Bailey, who's the founder of it, was really wanted to create an organization focused on empowering and elevating women sales leaders. And it was something that was announced at a, at a leadership summit um, actually last, uh, yeah, last year, this time last year, talking about it. And I wanted to get involved from the company that I was with. I wanted to have a couple people in, uh, in my team, on my team that would go through the program. So I raised my hand right away and said, how can I help? And she said, well, you can help by being a mentor. And that's, that's where kind of that all started. It was more so I liked what she was doing. I liked that the more I learned about diversity and inclusion initiatives and understanding, you know, what does the dynamic of your team look like, whether it's the frontline team or the management team, and is it the same or is it different? And it's very consistent that it's very much the same in a lot of different places. And we're now in a time where innovation is is huge and ideas and perspectives and everybody thrives on that and bringing in diversity and inclusion initiatives are so important so this is something that i just gravitated towards and i said i'll i'll absolutely help in any capacity i can so i did and i was paired up with a with an awesome protege she's in atlanta and she works for um for a sales or an outsource sales company and she was just phenomenal. She wanted to learn. She had been a sales manager for less than a year, probably six months, if that. And she just wanted to learn. She was hungry. She wanted to get better. She had. She came to every conversation we had with specific examples and wanted to know, hey, how would you handle this? Or here's what I'm experiencing. Hey, my team is having problems here. How can you help? And it just became just a great dialogue between her and I and she learned a lot from those experiences and ultimately at the end of the session she won the protege of the year award through the club so it was a great recognition for her she was a lot of hard work that she put in but it is it is going to be even bigger next year so this was the first year it started last August and they we just had our last event two weeks ago that was kind of the the ending conclusion and the sessions and thought leaders and mentors so we all congregated in park city utah and and had like a mini um summit and it was great so now we're going to be doing round two and starting later this year so if there's any organizations that want to be a part of it either from a mentor perspective or send your your new female sales leaders through this program i can't speak enough volumes about how the quality of education that they're getting and it's something that where everybody's supporting whether you're male or female anybody wants to support it so the the organization's called girls club the website is wearegirlsclub.com and um, they're doing a lot of great things so I, I got involved through someone that i knew at aaisp and just wanted to help and do more and Conquerors, if you guys want to check out any of these things that were mentioned today, AISP, Girls Club, it'll all be linked down in the show notes. Check it out. You know, you guys can't see it, but I always point whenever I say down in the show notes. I was just going to say and something like, they can't see you pointing. They can't like. see me pointing, but I do it. So check them out down in the show notes. And and I think that's a great place to pivot towards kind of one of our last questions of the show. It's, it's centered on the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which you know what it is, live uncomfortably. So I'm just going to ask you straight up. What do you think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, so this is, I, I haven't really 
shared this at least in this session but i've been a huge fan of the show and have listened to every episode and i i love it and every time i i hear this question asked i i always think like how would i answer that and for the longest time i had no clue and i was probably thinking more of a surface answer like oh live uncomfortably that just means like do things that are a little risky and outside your comfort zone and on one end yeah that's a part of it and it's try to not you know, try to not be routine and try to do new things. And I think that's fine. But the more I listened to a lot of your guests talk about this, I really started to give this a lot more thought. So to me, I think it does mean that, which is basically like what I did is quit your job without having a next step. Like that's uncomfortable. And and those are some things that, that you can do or go, if you're an introvert, go try going to a networking event and be an extrovert. It's uncomfortable, but try it, see how it goes. Those are some surface things that I think are there. But the next level I think is more on, on the, on par of being honest. So if you think about day-to-day conversations that you have, everybody tells white lies. I mean, really, oh, I don't want to go to the bar tonight, guys. I'm really not feeling good. Oh, crap, I'm just old and tired, and I want to go to bed, and I don't want to tell my friends that. So, you know, there's things like that. There's things like um, you got invited by somebody you don't like and to go hang out, and what do you do? You come up with an excuse. So I think the difference is I've started to, to do this over the years, especially with friends who probably think I'm – I'm a waste at this point, but at least I'm, I'd be, I try to be honest with them and say, Hey, I'm just not feeling it right now. I was out all day doing yard work and now I just want to relax and catch up on some Netflix shows. So, whereas before I probably, I would come up with a much better answer. So I think some of those things as maybe as petty as it may sound is think about kind of all those little white lies that you tell. And I think there's, there's merit to just kind of being upfront and honest and, owning who you are being authentic and really owning yourself my um my old my old boss as of yesterday um he does a he's a fantastic speaker um from smart harbor he's the co-founder um fantastic speaker and he talks a lot about being authentic and what that means and and i think that resonates a lot with me because that's what i've tried to be over the years so when i think about live uncomfortably it's trying to be authentic of myself being upfront and honest and try to just be who that is. And if somebody doesn't like it, ah, well, I'm, I'm a big boy. I can get over if somebody thinks I'm, uh, being a wuss. But, um, I think that's really where you got some surface things, which is try to do things that aren't necessarily in your wheelhouse in order to get better, to learn new things, acquire new skills. I think that's a great way to live uncomfortably. But then the other one is try to focus on those engagements and those conversations and be authentic and really own who you are. Don't be somebody for somebody else. And that's really what I think the deeper meaning of that, that is to me. And then how I live it is, is trying day in and day out with my wife having conversations. Hey, will you stop by the store and pick this up? Well, I really don't want to, but if we need it, then I will. So it's like those things, or I could just be the guy, oh yeah, sure, no problem, honey. And ultimately I'm just thinking, oh, this sucks. I don't, I'm just had a rough day. So I just try to be a little bit more open and honest. And I think that's helped my relationship with her actually is we, we kind of have that now of if I ask her to say, hey, on your way home, we pick up something from CVS or pick up allergy medicine. Uh, I'm not going that way. Okay, no problem. I'll get it tomorrow. Cool. So like those are things where I, I think we're just a little bit more honest in conversations and try to be as authentic as I can. And I really like that answer. I think that 
ties a lot into the way I feel about it personally in terms of coming to coming to call with your your own authenticity and the and your own personality. I think yeah. super super tough. Not always comfortable to admit to yourself like, hey, you know what? Sometimes I'm a little lazy. Yeah. Um. You know, and and finding the way to address that within yourself. So. Thanks a lot for the answer. Thanks a lot for telling your story here on yeah, the show. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask. So you guys say every show, without telling you too much about what this means to us or why this is the theme of our mm-hmm. show, so I'm glad I finally cracked the code on what that means to you because you always say it and never once right. have you told it what it is. Well, so. we still got Josh's secret, so, uh, yeah. so keep I'll tuning to... in. Eventually, someday, Josh will reveal it and you can all stop listening, but until that point. <laughs> I thought one guest had asked us a long while back. I don't know if we cut it out. I think we turned it on or something. I don't remember what we did, but we definitely avoided answering it. So, Conquerors, (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot for listening. That was Ed Porter. Uh, If you guys want to learn more about any stuff we talked about, again, check out the the show notes down below. And we appreciate you tuning in. Hope you learned a lot from this episode. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.